Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at 2 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. We are wrapping up this section that goes from verse 5 down through verse 9. And in this, we are working under the assertion that Scripture provides for and assumes a lifelong transformation into Christ-likeness. As we got into the discussion, we noticed with that opening phrase of verse 5 that salvation starts with rescue from the effects of sin. And then we started working through the next section, which comprises that list, and noted that salvation continues for the believer in a transformative way. Now, as we continue working under this premise, we see a third and final aspect of this in verses 8 and 9, that salvation is either proved or disproved by these qualities or lack of them. So everything that we talked about in the previous episode, uh, supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love— Those things or lack of them, those qualities or lack of them will either prove or disprove your salvation. Now, I recently had a good conversation with a brother in Christ, and we were talking about this topic of how we as believers are called to examine others. And of course, one of the most famous verses today, it seems like in this post-postmodern world, if you will, is that uh, rather than John 3.16 being known by the world round, it seems that if somebody doesn't know the gospel and they have any knowledge of the Bible, the one verse that they do know is Matthew 7.1, which says, judge not lest you be judged. And so I found that a lot of people don't really understand context uh, because later on we're commanded to judge. And not only in that chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, but all throughout the scriptures. And so there comes a point at which, you know, we, we truly can't see the heart of man. I will acknowledge that first and foremost. And I think if you're listening and you've been with us for a while, you would understand that too. I, I'm not saying that I can see into the heart of man. I don't even know my own heart the way God knows my heart. But what we can do as believers, and, and recognize this, God has created the physical world, right? So he's given us you know, our eyes to see and all the senses that we have in our bodies. Uh, this is all part of creation, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to wax philosophical here, but we don't want to endanger our theology by starting to flirt with Gnosticism that says that the things that we see are bad and we can't trust those senses. I mean, God has given us his revealed word and his word tells us that we are to make judgments and it tells us how as Christians we can make certain judgments. And if we're not bearing the fruit of faith and repentance 
in our lives and it is not evident and we're not we're not uh, doing the works that are commensurate with salvation and redemption then there is cause for concern after all paul writes to the church at corinth in second corinthians 13 verse 5 i believe it is and he says examine yourselves and see whether or not you're in the faith uh, unless indeed you pass or you fail to pass the test right Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. So this is a call to introspection, and I, and I understand that. So some people will say, well, listen, that's just the believer who's supposed to look at their own life, and no one else can look at their life. Well, again... Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Galatians 6 1 says that we are supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, we are also told elsewhere in Scripture if you see a brother sinning, go and confront them and, and help them restore such a one, right? But considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so that means there is a judgment involved and inherent in that, that you have to understand what sin is and what sin is not. And then once you've recognized that in your own life, now when you see it in the life of another believer, you are called to go and confront that. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you can never confront sin. I mean, all the people that just pile, dogpile onto Matthew chapter 7, those first few verses, and they talk about the beam in your own eye versus the speck in somebody else's eye, and you're a hypocrite, you can't, you can't judge anybody. No, all that's saying is, if I'm going to judge, I have to recognize that I too am full of sin and faults, and I can also be judged. That's the whole point. And so if I'm going to judge somebody according to the standard of Scripture, I can expect to be judged according to that same standard and by that standard. Interestingly, the fruit of salvation and repentance are not things that are necessarily—they are tangible, right? But they're not the outward things. Like, anybody can go to a church service— now, I will grant that there are a lot of unsaved people that don't want to go to a church service, but there are religious people who are saying, Lord, Lord, and we all know what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that there will be many people in the last day who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do all those things? They're appealing to the right person, and he's going to say to those people who are religious, who are actually appealing to Christ himself, and he's going to say, what, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. What a condemnation that is. And again, he says to religious leaders elsewhere, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they're hypocrites and that in the final day, they would see their forefathers in the faith like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all rejoicing with Christ, but they themselves would be consigned to a place of outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, you know, we have to take these things and say, okay, what's going on here? Because there are a lot of people who go to church and say, okay, listen, I go to church, you know, twice on Sunday, I go to Sunday school and I go to the Sunday morning service. And if you have a Sunday evening service, I go then, and I show up to the prayer group and I go out to the men's prayer breakfast, or I go to the ladies Bible study and they're doing all of these things, but none of those things are found in any of these lists. 
And so we have to be very careful, right? Because the lists are talking about an inward transformation. They're talking about growth in your faith. They're talking about uh, maturity in the Christian life. So these qualities that we just walked through in the previous episode, they are either going to prove or disprove your salvation. So if you want a good barometer, you want a good marker of whether or not you're saved, how do you measure up to these things? Now, we're all going to have room for improvement, but the question is, are they present? If none of them are present in your life and you don't desire those things and you're not willing to work to be changed, then we have cause for concern. So the first thing that we see then in verse eight is this, that the continual ever increasing presence of these qualities proves our salvation. Here's what Peter says in verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the continual ever increasing presence of these qualities, what qualities? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If those are ever increasing and they're continual in your life, they prove that you are saved. They prove your salvation. There is a conditional clause here. Conditional means, you know, this first class condition, if this is true, then this will be true. So the if there, it's governed by that, means that these things have to be in your life to some degree or another. They have to be there. Um, The verb is to exist, to really be there. So you can't just talk about this list of virtues, right? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. You can talk about it all you want, but they actually have to really be there and not only do they have to exist in your life, they have to be growing. Interesting, uh, that verb there, it, it's not a, a, a static verb. Uh, th- this word means to be present in abundance, to continue to grow, to increase, or to superabound. That means that there, there's this ongoing fertilization, watering, and growth that is happening in your life in all the areas of these virtues uh, that are listed and these qualities, I should say, that are listed. Let's start with virtue. The second part of that conditional clause, we just looked at the if, if this is true and it's this way in an ongoing fashion, what's the result? Well, here's the then in verse eight. If these qualities are yours, then implied, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective. That means exactly what it sounds like. There is no effect that you are having in your life or the lives of anybody else, right? You can say that you're a Christian, but there's no transformation in your life. And they can, the lack of these qualities keeps you from having an impact within the church. And I don't mean the church universal. I'm talking about your church. This is why it's so important that you get involved with a local assembly. This is why you need to have uh, uh, an under shepherd, a pastor who steps into that role. That's one of the gifts of God to the church is to have a pastor teacher there who is going to give an account for the souls of those who are in his congregation. Listen, I'm a pastor of a church. I don't have to give an account for believers in Minneapolis and Boston and Los Angeles. You know, I may know people in those cities, 
but and, and I may know Christians in those cities, but I'm not their pastor. But the ones that I interact with week in, week out, right? Those are the people that that I'm going to give an account for. And so if that's the whole point. If, if you're not growing in any of these qualities, you are going to be ineffective in your local church and you're not going to be fruitful. Uh, and, and it says, you know, bearing no fruit, uh, lacking fruit here and specifically fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, there's something going on here because the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ could be subsumed under just the gospel as a, as a, a summary statement. But also the fruit of repentance, all of those things, what does it mean to be in Christ? You should be growing in the knowledge of that. And as you grow in the knowledge of that, that should produce transformation in your life. And so it's really the fruit that is in keeping with repentance and faith. And because if these qualities are not there, or that's the other side of it, uh, then you won't be producing those things. So he says, if they're yours, they will keep you from being ineffective. So if the fruit is present in your life, this is a good thing, right? If it's present in your life, then the converse is true. You'll actually be effective in the spreading of the gospel. You will be fruitful because you're growing in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ and able to share that with other believers and being iron that sharpens iron and uh, the things which you've heard of me, the same commitment to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a self-spiritual replication that happens in the process of discipleship. So the continual ever-increasing presence of these qualities prove our salvation. And that's hopefully where we land as believers as we look at this verse. However, then, as we get into verse 9, the lack of these qualities disproves our claim to salvation. It's already starting to come out in that conditional aspect that we already looked at in verse 8. But now he's specifically going to address it so that there's no doubt about that. Uh, There's no question that this is what he's talking about. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The lack of these qualities disproves our claim to salvation. So one way that we could look at it is to say this, that no qualities in your life means that you cannot see the way of Christ and his kingdom and his ultimate plan for you and for others. This has huge implications for false teachers who now, even as then, tend to fixate on one thing only. In driving terms, we would call this tunnel vision, and tunnel vision can be fatal, right? So if you don't have these qualities, uh, then, then you are so nearsighted, you are so fixated on one thing and one thing only that for all intents and purposes, you are blind. And that's the exact analogy that he gives here, which we can really relate to now, even in, in with driving technology that they didn't have 2000 years ago. So if you don't have these qualities, then you're going to fixate on certain things and that's going to be an unhealthy thing. And Peter also says here, they've become so nearsighted without the rest of the qualities to balance them that they are in effect blind. They're so fixated and lacking that they have even forgotten the fundamentals, 
right? We're talking about the very fundamentals of the faith, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Whatever it is, this person who's lacking all of these qualities that we just looked at in verses five through seven, that now he's forgotten that salvation, Christianity, is actually about the, the forgiveness of sin. And I can say from a very practical standpoint that there are a lot of people who are involved in, let's call it the organized church or organized Christianity. And I would call these churches, even though they fit under the broad umbrella of evangelicalism, they are, they are empty tombs, okay? <laughs> They're whitewashed sepulchers because you find somebody, as a general rule, there may be exceptions to these things, but I'll just pick on a couple just to throw it out there, okay? And maybe some of you will take issue with that. That's fine. We can have a discussion, okay? But let, let's pick on the United Methodist Church. Now, about 70 years ago, the United Methodist Church, it had its issues, but there were still a gospel presence within the church. It's really hard to say that about the United Methodist Church now. Now, that's not to say that they don't mention the name of Christ and they don't have a liturgy and they don't sing and all these other things. I'm not saying that those things aren't there, but I would challenge you to, to really deeply think about the fact of whether or not Christ and Christ crucified is, is present in the teaching of the United Methodist Church. So if you find somebody who says that I'm a member of that and you don't ask a leading question, a leading question implies the answer that you're hoping for or it even implies the correct answer, you just leave it open and they have to come up with the answer, chances are, and I know this experientially and I know it anecdotally or what shall we say vicariously through others' experience, right, their anecdotal experiences, that, that they won't be able to articulate the gospel. And so now you have a group of people, and, and that one in particular, who claim to be Christian, but whatever Christianity means to them, it has nothing to do with the cleansing of sin. And I hope you can make that connection because in verse nine, the person who lacks all of these ongoing qualities and growing in their faith and maturing that comes through discipleship, through reading the word of God, through intimate fellowship and prayer with God and with other believers on a regular basis, if they're lacking all of these things, they have become tunnel visioned on something, whatever that is, so much so that they've become blind and now they've forgotten what salvation is all about <laughs> being cleansed from sin. That, isn't that at the heart of what it is to be a Christian? Isn't that why Christ came to earth? Isn't that the stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness, uh, to, to the Gentiles, uh, first Corinthians chapter two, they, they really struggled because the, the Jewish people were looking for a king. They wanted somebody who's coming as a conquering hero to come and, you know, rescue them from Roman rule. And Christ comes into the earth, you know, at the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, 4, and he comes not as a conquering king, but he comes as one who is the suffering servant of the latter chapters of Isaiah. And... <laughs> And by his stripes, we are healed. What kind of healing is he offering? It's spiritual healing. It's the cleansing from sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah says earlier in the book, right? They shall be white as snow. And we can never get away from that. So the lack of these qualities disproves our claim to salvation. There are a lot of people in the world today 
There are a lot of teachers and there are a lot of claiming Christians who would say they are a Christian, but whatever it means to them to be a Christian, they have forgotten the very fundamental that being a Christian first and foremost means that we are vile, wretched sinners in the sight of God. Our sin deserves and demands an eternal punishment because it is against an eternal God. But the glorious news is that Jesus Christ has paid the eternal price for our sins because he himself was sinless and he volunteered of his own accord and by his own power laid down his life for our sins and then took it up again. And through our faith in him, we can, we, we can experience the gift of salvation that is so incredibly wonderful. So just keep that in mind whenever we go through lists like this or the fruit of the spirit or other such lists that we mentioned in, in other passage, other episodes, that salvation is either proved or disproved by these qualities or lack of them. And it's been a good discussion today. Hopefully it's one that causes us to think. And if you're on the wrong side of that, it's time to get back on the right side of that. You can be made right with God in just a moment. If you are a wayward prodigal Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're not yet a believer, but you thought that you were, now is time to get right with God for the very first time and then to walk in these things. And God, by his spirit, will keep you and will prompt you to do those things. And as a loving father chastises his son, he will bring us into correction because he loves us. So all praise be to God. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.